Now, we're going to get to Psalm 77 in a minute, but I said, I said before that our son Asher was born in Cayman. He was born there. He's four years old now. But when he was born, uh, as soon as he was born, he was a beautiful kid. But as soon as he was born, our pediatrician who was in the room noticed right away that he was having a little trouble breathing. He had a grumble, which just meant that he was getting air, but not all the air he needed. And so he was taken pretty quickly uh, to the, the neonatal intensive care unit, and he stayed there for a while. And so he was born on December 22nd. So on Christmas Eve, Kim was discharged, and we had to leave the hospital and, and leave our baby in, in intensive care. It was a hard week that he was in there, and he was never in danger. He was never critically ill, but it was one of those things where every day you'd wake up hoping, maybe, maybe this will be the day he comes home, and then he doesn't come home. And so there's this kind of prolonged feeling of that. And one of the hardest parts about that week, and if you've been a Christian for a while, you've, you've probably had this experience, one of the hardest parts of that week was knowing that we have so many promises from God in Scripture, but not one of them is that our kid is going to be healthy. We, we, God hasn't promised. He hasn't promised that for his people, life is going to be easy. He hasn't promised us a life free from trouble. Quite the opposite, actually. Jesus says in John 16, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. Trouble is a universal human experience. And so I bet I could ask any one of you, what's, what's the trouble in your life right now? And you would have something to say. There's trouble in your family, trouble in your body, trouble with money, trouble at work, trouble of your own making, sin and its consequences that you have to live with. Trouble is going to be a reality for us until Jesus comes back, which is why we need Psalm 77. We need to see what Asaph, who wrote this psalm, discovered in his day of trouble. So please follow along as I read this psalm. And Asher is fine, by the way. Some of you have forgotten about him, but the moms were like, but what happened with the baby? (laughs) The baby is fine. He's over there. Psalm 77. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I considered the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. 
What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we don't want to come glibly or casually to your word this morning. This is your word. This is you speaking to us. This is your word that revives the soul and rejoices the heart and enlightens the eyes. This is your word that helps us to live in your world. And we need your help this morning. We need you to come and to speak and to help us to see Jesus and trust Jesus and live for Jesus. And so please come. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, we want to find help for our day of trouble by looking at what Asaph learned in his day of trouble. And we're going to look at it under three headings, okay? The fact of our trouble, the trouble under our trouble, and our comfort in trouble. First, the fact of our trouble. Now, we've already been touching on this, but in order to really benefit from this psalm, we need to know that trouble is going to be a fact for us. It's going to be a reality in our lives. Now, Asaph was unquestionably in dreadful trouble. He says in verse 2, in the day of my trouble. He's in trouble, and we can see how bad it is from how he's responding in verses 1 and 2. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God. He's crying out in desperation. Verse 2, in the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. While the rest of us are snug in our beds, Asaph is crying to God, extending his hands, desperate for God to help him. What he's going through is agonizing, and yet we don't know what it was. He doesn't tell us what his trouble was, and that's for a very specific reason. It's because he's written this, and God inspired him to write this so that we could enter it ourselves, enter into it with our trouble. Asaph was a song leader. He was a musician at the temple appointed by King David. He was King David's Steve Moore. And, and so he was in this position of leadership. He was writing songs for God's people, and he wanted to write a song that God's people could share, that they could enter into, they could bring their own trouble into and sing in their day of trouble. And there are unbelievably heavy things, real trouble being borne by people in this congregation today. Grief, the weight and complexity of caring for aging parents, heartache for wayward children, young bodies racked with chronic pain, crushing debt, marriages hanging by a thread despite having tried feels like everything, and how painful it would be 
to think that God doesn't understand trouble. But he does. And he put the Psalms in the Bible to give us comfort and to give us a song in our day of trouble. And it's not just the Psalms that point us to this, that that point us to the fact that trouble is coming for us. As, As we read the Bible, we see it over and over again in the lives of God's people, right? Job. The Bible tells us Job was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil, and he lost everything. My sons and I have been reading at bedtime through the life of David, the man after God's own heart, who spent years in the wilderness on the run for for his life from a king that he honored. And Paul tells us, we're going through Romans as a church, in Romans, that tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, none of those things can separate us from the love of God, but they're all realities in this world for God's people. Now, you may be thinking, boy, this is a gloomy start to a sermon, especially on a holiday weekend. But if trouble is coming, wouldn't you rather know so you can prepare? Now, one One of the changes our kids are experiencing living in the Midwest for the first time is the possibility of tornadoes. We had just kind of wrapped our minds around hurricanes, and now we have these mini hurricanes that appear out of nowhere and can fall right on your house. And so we're trying to figure out what are we going to do. And so we live live on the north side over by Harvey School, which is where the kids are going to go to school. And there's a playground at the school, and we've gone there a few times. And on that school property, they have this massive tornado siren, way bigger than what I remember when I was a kid. And so the kids saw this siren, and they, they got a, not a little apprehensive about what that's going to sound like when it goes off. And so on the third Saturday of August, at exactly 10.30, we were safely inside our house waiting to listen to that siren go off. And then when it went off, we talked about, now what are we going to do if we hear that? And it's not 10.30 a.m. on the third Saturday of the month. We want to know before it comes what we're going to do when it does. And we need to know in the same way what we're going to do when trouble comes. How we're going to get through that. Now at this point, Asaph seems to be doing it exactly right. Right? He says in verse 2, In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. And that's right. He cries out to God. He, he prays without wearying. He's doing what he ought to do. He knows that He knows that what he needs is God. Look at the end of verse 2. My soul refuses to be comforted. He knows what it is to have the comfort of God. And he knows he doesn't have it yet, and he's not giving up until he gets there, right? He refuses to settle for subpar false comforts. And that's so tempting, isn't it? It's so easy to go wrong in trouble, in our trouble to seek comfort just anywhere, to seek comfort somewhere other than God. Maybe it's distraction. We just lose ourselves in Netflix and YouTube, anything to keep our minds off of what we're going through. Or maybe, if it's not distraction, maybe it's intoxication. Just one more drink to make you feel better, to take the pain away. Maybe you comfort yourself through accomplishment. You just throw yourself into something you can control to offset all the things you can't. Maybe you escape into experiences, trips and vacations and adventures, anything that gets you out of normal life. But none of those false comforts takes us where we want to go. And Asaph doesn't settle for that. So he's able to discover, secondly, the trouble under our trouble. Now, if, 
if verses 1 and 2 make it seem like Asaph's on the right track, verse 3 is where it seems like he's kind of starting to come off the rails. Look at that. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. And you say, that's not right. When you, when you, when you think about God, when you remember him, when you mull over what he's done, that should make you feel better. But it only makes Asaph feel worse. He can't sleep, verse 4. You hold my eyelids open. He can't speak. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. He tries to think back in, in, in the past, times when he could sing in the night, times when he, he could sing even though life wasn't what it should be. I said, let me remember. I considered the days of old, verse 5, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Even that provides no relief. But as he meditates, as he searches, he's able to trace down to what's really troubling him, why he finds no comfort, why he has no song. The trouble under his trouble is doubt. Look at verse 7. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? These five questions just pour out of him. As hard as his trouble is, whatever it is, what really distresses Asaph is the fear that God is absent from it. That what he's going through, he's going through alone. It's not the trouble that troubles him so much as the questions. He's wondering, maybe, maybe God isn't who he said he would be. Now, if you remember, after the Exodus, after God brought his people out of slavery, there was a, a time on their way to the promised land when, you know, the people, they'd, they'd made this golden calf, this idol that they worshipped, and then God forgave them. And then after that, Moses said to God, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you while I declare to you my name, the Lord. And this is what he said. This is his name. Jared mentioned this last week. Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And, and Asaph is wondering, is that true? Is, is that who he really is? He said he's abounding in steadfast love, but can his abundance run out? Can it cease? He said he abounds in faithfulness, but what if for me he's not going to keep his promises? He said he's gracious, but what if he's forgotten to be gracious? And this, this last question is maybe the most poignant. Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Is God mad at me? Is that why I cry out to him and I can't find him? Is that why he doesn't change what I'm going through? I know I'm not perfect. I know I've sinned. Has God's forgiveness for me run out? And now what he feels towards me is anger. Have you been there? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to nod your head. But have you been there? Have you gone through something really hard? Maybe you are now. Something in your family. Something with your health. And other people say, just trust God. God loves you. He's going to bring you out of this. And every mention of God just increases your pain because deep down you're wondering, is he with me? Does he love me? Is he going to bring me out of this? 
Or is this happening because his main attitude towards me is anger? If you have, I hope it's comforting for you to see that a worship leader in Israel and an author of Scripture has been where you were or where you are. And it's not just Asaph who experiences doubt and trouble. Psalm 10, verse 1 says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Why, when we need you most, are you nowhere to be found? Now, some of you will remember Rich Mullins, who was a a Christian singer in the 80s and 90s. He died tragically in a car accident. And at the time of his death, he was working on a new record, a record of songs about Jesus. And when he died, he left behind a tape of demos of the songs that were going to go on that record. And the first song on that tape is called Hard to Get. And this is how it starts. Do you who live in heaven hear the prayers of those of us who live on earth? who are afraid of being left by those we love and who get hardened by the hurt? Do you remember when you lived down here where we all scrape to find the faith to ask for daily bread? Did you forget about us after you had flown away? Well, I memorized every word you said. Still, I'm so scared. I'm holding my breath while you're up there just playing hard to get. He puts into words that same trouble under the trouble that Asaph felt. Does God care about what I'm going through? I pray and I feel nothing. Where is he? Now, this is not a place any of us want to be. It's certainly not a place any of us want to stay. But if we know from Asaph and from Rich that this is a place where real Christians find themselves, people who love God find themselves here then we need to be the kind of church where people don't feel embarrassed to say this is where they are. Where we can put into words the fears and the doubts that are keeping us awake at night. We need to be able to share this with one another. We need to be able to say this in our gospel communities. God was not embarrassed to include these kinds of questions in the Bible, and we shouldn't be embarrassed by them either, provided we don't stay there. We want to keep moving And we want to move the same direction Asaph moved. It was really important for Asaph to articulate these questions, and here's why. There's a word that has dominated this psalm to this point. And it's so small that you might not have even noticed it was there. It's one letter long. Can you see in the passage what that word might be? I. I cry aloud, I seek the Lord, my hand, my soul, I remember, I meditate, I am troubled, I consider. It's good that Asaph's been seeking God, but but what's really, where has his focus been? It's been on himself. But as he begins to trace out what's really troubling him, as as he puts into questions the doubts that are nagging him, what's begun to happen? Where has his focus begun to go? Will the Lord spurn forever? Has his love ceased? His promises ended? Has God forgotten? Asaph has begun to move from asking, what am I experiencing? What do I feel about God to what has God said about himself? Not what do I feel, but what's true? And this leads to his breakthrough, which is the psalm's turning point in verse 10. That's where we begin to find, finally, our comfort in trouble. Look at verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this, 
to the years of the right hand of the Most High. When he says right hand, he's talking about the power of God. So he's asking when God was powerfully at work, when he was making himself known by what he did, who did he show himself to be? What's true of him? Verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. He resolves to remember, to ponder, to meditate on what God has done, and truth begins to transform his experience. What does he remember? Verse 13, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. This God is incomparably great. He works wonders. He does things that when people see it, it just leaves them speechless, in awe and amazed at him. And Asaph focuses in on one wonder in particular. Look at verse 15. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. He thinks back on the most formative event in the history of God's people to that point, the Exodus, when God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, right? If you, if you have read that, if you know that story, you'll remember that God's people, were, they were just miserable. They were powerless. They were hopeless. They didn't think there was any way they could get out. And then God came in power. He intervened, and he, he brought them out, right? He sent plagues on Egypt, judgment and plagues. He sent, you know, the river turned to blood, frogs and gnats and boils and hail and darkness and death until Pharaoh let them go. And then they came out of Egypt, right? And then they were camping by the sea and they turned around and Pharaoh was coming. He was chasing after them. And they had, you know, their enemy in front of them and the sea behind them. And they thought, this is the end of us. And then God, he came in power. He made a way. He sent a wind and opened the sea. They walked right through and he he brought it back closed behind them on their enemies, and they were safe. And Asaph meditates on that, and he thinks the God of the Exodus, that's a great God. He thinks how the Exodus showed God's power over creation. Look at verse 16. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. I went to the beach lots of times in Cayman. Never once did it turn back in fear. But when God comes, even the sea turns back from him. Look at verse 17. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. God came in a storm of judgment against his enemies. Lightning was like arrows in a warrior's hand. Everything, all of that was under his control. Look at verse 18. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. By this point in the psalm, I and me are gone. It's all you. Asaph is just captivated, captivated by the greatness of God. He he says, this God rules the world. He's holy. He's not like us. Why should we think that we could always understand everything that he does? But even, even just remembering his greatness would have been very little comfort if Asaph hadn't remembered, in addition to God's greatness, his goodness. Look back at verse 15. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. We talked about this word, word redeemed a little bit last week. Remember Psalm 130, with you is plentiful 
redemption. Redemption is rescue through payment of a debt. So at the time, if you got deep into debt, you only had a few options and all of them were bad. You could sell your land, your inheritance, and pay off your debt, but then you have no source of income and you have nothing to give to your kids. Or you could sell yourself into slavery and then work off the debt that way. Or you could be redeemed. Uh, A relative, someone who cares about you, someone who identifies with you, could step in and pay your debt on your behalf so that you can go free. Redemption was a costly rescue by someone who loves you. And God redeemed his people. He saw their misery. He felt compassion, and he intervened, and he set them free. Right? God showed his greatness, but he showed his greatness in judgment against his people's enemies. He sent judgment on them in plagues and storms, the sea closing in on them. But his people were sheltered in his care. Look at verse 20. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So who does Asaph remember God to be? A God who is incomparably great, who rules creation. He's greater than anything we can face. And a God who is thoroughly good, who intervenes for his people, tenderly cares for them, and leads them. A redeemer and a shepherd. And there's a lesson he takes from the way God redeemed and shepherded his people, a lesson that we can, just, we can easily miss and pass by. Look at verse 19. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. God's way wasn't around the sea. It wasn't around the trouble. His way was through the sea. They had, remember, their backs against the sea, their enemies in front of them. They were in a place where they were totally overwhelmed. And that's when God made a way. He made a way through the sea. He brought his people into something that was too much for them, and then he showed them his way. He was with them the whole time. They, they thought that they were alone. They thought they were abandoned. He had been there the whole time. What does Asaph say? Your footprints were unseen. You were there, but they didn't see you. And it's the same for us. When, when we are in our lives in a place where it feels like he seems absent, like he's playing hard to get, like his steadfast love has come to an end, he's there. He's there. He's here, even when his footprints are unseen. And it's with this idea of God as the shepherd of his people, leading his flock, taking them where they need to be. It's this idea that ends the psalm. He, Asaph has learned what he needs to know for comfort in his trouble. God is great and good and with him. Even though he can't see his footprints, he can know that he's being shepherded with the same care that Asaph experienced and God's people experienced. He's being taken exactly where God wants him to be. So what has Asaph done? In his trouble, he stopped looking at himself and he's turned his thoughts to the truth, to scripture, actually. If you If you read this passage, the language of this passage makes it clear that Asaph, when he was meditating and considering and pondering, he was thinking over a specific passage in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 15, which is Moses' song after God brought his people out. The language is the same. You guys can read it this afternoon and find 
all, this, all the points of connection. All I want you to see is that the turning point for Asaph is when he stopped thinking about himself and his experience and his feelings, and he turned his attention to who God says he is in the Bible. He said, let me think of where God has shown most clearly who he is. Let me look back on, on how he saved his people. Let me meditate on that wonder. And don't we have an even greater wonder to look back on than he did? If you're a Christian, how did God redeem you? Through sending a storm of judgment on your enemies? No, through sending the storm of his judgment on his son. The ruler of the wind and the waves hung on a cross to pay the debt for all your sins. How does Paul say it in Ephesians 1? In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. There is no greater wonder. So when trouble comes, and it will come, everyone who has trusted in Jesus can look back on this and know that God is great, and he's good, and he's with us. And when the doubts come, we can answer them. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? No. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Are his promises at an end? No. All his promises are yes and amen in Christ. Has he forgotten to be gracious? Never. Has he in anger shut up his compassion? No, all his anger at my sin was satisfied in Jesus, so his compassion is now all I know. And not only that, but a day is coming when my Redeemer will rid the world of all trouble forever, and until then, I can trust him as my unseen shepherd. Aren't you glad this psalm is in the Bible? All of us need this reminder. Our comfort in trouble is the greatness and goodness of our redeeming God. Do you know him? I know that not everyone here is sold on Christianity. If you're not, I'm glad you're here. I want you to know that there is a God who understands trouble. He became a man and experienced a world of trouble out of love for the world. He died to redeem, to set free everyone who trusts him so we can be forgiven, so we can be embraced by God, so we can know, like Asaph, that when trouble comes, we are not alone, but we are safe in the care of our unseen shepherd, of our Father in heaven. And there is no greater comfort than that. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are always with your people even when your footprints are unseen. We thank you that you are a God who has compassion, a God who understands, a God who shows mercy, a God who makes a way, and that in Christ you have made a way for us to come home to you forever, that in Christ we don't have to ever fear being alone. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to see you in Christ, to see you in Scripture, to see you as you are, and to trust in you with our whole hearts, that in our trouble, we wouldn't pretend, we wouldn't put on a face, 
but in our trouble we would cry out to you and we would seek you where you are found in your son and in your word. And so, Father, for those who are in trouble now, who are in the depths, who are in the dark, who are asking these same questions, God, make yourself known to them. Draw near to them now and today and this week and give them a song in the night. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.